delivering high-quality, technology-centric podcasts around the world. This is MunchTech.TV, taking a bite out of technology. Hello, welcome to episode 504 of The Two Techies for Saturday, April 25th, 2020. This is, of course, the show where we talk about the week's most notable technology stories in runs now or less with Aaron Fisher and myself, Jimmy Bunting. We come together once a week to discuss, debate, converse, scrutinize and explore the world of tech. On this week's episode, the $400 iPhone... The new SE. Google step up on advertisement authenticity. Why that's a good thing. And consumers are slowly becoming more privacy savvy. Why that's a good thing. Welcome to what is the 504th episode of your technology show. It's your show because if you weren't taking the time to join us, we wouldn't be doing it. As such, thank you for taking the time out to join us on this, um, what is, as I said, 504 for April 25th. The last show in April. Next week, we will, uh, what, May 2nd? Yeah, next show. So I feel like we always say that, you know, first show of April, last show of April, first show of May, last show of May. And and before we know it, we'll be halfway through 2020 already. Sadly, it hasn't been the best year, I think, for the world so far. So, uh, you know, let's let's get April over. Let's, let's see what May brings. Let's think about more positivity. Um, and I guess in, on, on more micro scales, there's, there's plenty of positivity, but I think really the elephant on the planet right now is covid and there's just no getting away from it regardless of where you go well not physically but (laughs) especially online you're not getting away from it news you're not getting away from it because it is just affecting everyone hopefully as a result everyone is staying safe managing to get through it okay didn't have a show last week that was through to a a few sort of ailments and and not really well i I guess there was a lack of news in some respects but we did have a show planned but it just didn't um, come to fruition Aaron, hello. Hello. How are we? Good, yourself? Yeah, cannot complain. Cannot complain. What what I'm liking is that we don't have a company-centric show this week. We have a general, well, what I would call a company-centric show. It's not focused on one company. It's not focused on one area. It's pretty wide. It's pretty open. Um, pretty general. I like that sometimes. It's nice to sort of hit the reset button and get a, a more top-down view of everything, which is nice. But of course, Apple had to take the lead in the news in the last week or so with their brand new iPhone SE, the second generation of the SE. Channel makes you realize, I think Apple have sort of opened their eyes to, right, our price point needs to appeal to a greater market, which is also positive. See, and also following what Google did as well with, with their latest um, release not so long ago as well with their, their cheaper phone offering. So we'll talk about that later on in the show. First and foremost, I think we said it last week, or sorry, no, the last show and the show before, there are so many scams, fraudsters, attempts to just uh, do anything and everything to manipulate and monetize on COVID. And for the most part, people are very savvy to that. But of course, you may have family members, you may have friends, you may know people who are elderly or don't fully, you know, aren't 100% technology savvy. Please, please, please spread that word and, and make sure that that's known. No, your bank aren't going to contact you about COVID. They're not going to ask you to transfer money into an account because of COVID. Um, you're not having to transfer funds anywhere, ABC, XYZ, you know, so many different attempts and scams going around I'm seeing at the minute. So please just make sure that people know most companies aren't doing what the scams portray to them. 
504. There is a relevance. There is a significant relevance to technology. Aaron, you're up again, I'm afraid. It's an SMTP status code. Go for it. I'm out. All I know is <laughs> SMTP is email sending. That's about where my knowledge ends. It's the status code meaning command parameter not implemented. Oh, oh how obvious. How silly of me. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I really, I have nothing before the quick news, do you? Nope. Let's go. Scammers are sending 18 million hoax emails about COVID-19 to Gmail users every day, according to Google. The tech giant says the pandemic has led to an explosion of phishing attacks in which criminals tried to trick users into revealing personal data. The company said it was blocking more than 100 million phishing emails a day. Over the past week, almost a fifth were scam emails related to coronavirus. The virus may now be the biggest phishing topic ever, the tech firm has said. Google says Gmail is used by over 1.5 billion people. Apple and Google say that user privacy and security will be central to the design of their new COVID-19 tracing app project, which will use a decentralized API to prevent governments from building a surveillance-style centralized database of contacts. However, according to The Guardian, that means if the NHS goes ahead with its original plans, its app would face severe limitations in its operation. NHS X, the British Health Services Digital Innovation Unit, reportedly wasn't aware of Apple and Google's project before it was announced, and it now looks like the usefulness of its own app will be severely hampered or even rendered non-functional if it does not implement the protocol. That's because without adhering to the Apple and Google API, a contact tracing app won't be able to access Bluetooth when it's running in the background and would only work when the app was open and the phone unlocked. Similar limitations have been demonstrated in Singapore's contact tracing app, Trace Together, which requires the user to leave their phone unlocked to work properly. The app has a three-star rating in the App Store and has been installed by just 12% of the country's population. Huawei's involvement in the most sensitive parts of EE's mobile network is to continue longer than planned. In December of 2018, owner BT said it would take just two years to remove Huawei equipment from its core network. But it now says 100% of core mobile traffic will be using its new Ericsson-built equipment by 2023, the government deadline announced in January of this year. It blames the government for also ruling 65% of the network's periphery must be rid of Huawei equipment too. And finally, the coronavirus pandemic has brought the live event industry to its knees, prompting promoters and ticket companies to preserve whatever cash they still have in their possession. As such, one of the world's largest ticket sellers has reportedly changed a key tenant of its refund policy to avoid refunding fans when events are postponed or simply rescheduled. A new report at Digital Music says that Ticketmaster quietly updated its refund policy to significantly reduce refund payouts. While the old policy promised refunds for events which were postponed, rescheduled, or cancelled, a recent modification to said policy now only covers cancellations. I said it, I told you, I said it. I, yeah, 18 million, 18 million scam emails a day on Google alone. <laughs> on Google alone. Okay, I get it. Google Gmail is probably one of the biggest email services out, one and a half billion people, but still 18 million coronavirus scams every single day. What 
That is crazy. I mean, it just, I'd love to know. I'm sure there's a percentage out there, but I'd love to know how much, you know, what percentage of email sent every day, everywhere is a scam, scam, a phishing, you know, anything like that. Like how much email is actually genuine? Because I have a funny feeling that when I see a lot of people's inboxes, it's like, I'm pretty sure it's over 50% of email going around every day. Is Oh yeah, it's definitely disproportionate. It's crazy. Yeah. It's just, email is just a way to send newsletters and spam now. Nothing else. <laughs> Yeah. Did you get my email yesterday, by the way? <laughs> uh, sorry, it was in amongst the 50 spam emails I got. Yeah. Um, although, speaking of privacy, speaking of... Go ahead. Although I was going to say, I am obviously sending money to uh, a Nigerian prince that needed help. That was a genuine one. But but you're getting something back in that, right? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Some land or something. Oh, okay. Whereabouts? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't... <laughs> you know, the email only had a couple of lines in it. Yeah, don't question it. Exactly. Just... You, yeah. I just want to help people. Just trust. <laughs> It's funny because you, and I'm not saying it's funny people get scammed, but you do hear some stories whereby you know, people, how how did you believe that that was what? I think I remember one on the radio a while ago whereby a lady transferred £20,000, whatever it was, for, I, I don't even know what the, the backstory was, but just the fact that transferred twenty grand to just through an email because of an email, that's hmm, interesting. I mean, there are sophisticated and like clever attacks, so I, I no one's in the oh, past yeah, yeah. that, you know, they'll impersonate or spoof a family member's email address or something so it looks like it's actually personal to you um and that's normally some kind of targeted attack but these these blanket scams where you know it is a nigerian prince or you know some kind of oh donate or put this money here and we'll give you x or you've won this amount of money it's like it do people still fall for that have people ever fallen for that i don't know you've won money but pay us money first sounds sounds reasonable Speaking of privacy, speaking of security, Apple and Google, I don't think it's a standoff. I think there's been clarification on the matter, but clearly they have different ideas about a contact tracing app than what the NHS did, which I, I'm going to say, and, and, and I know it shouldn't be this way, but... I I would probably trust Apple and Google more so than the NHS. Oh, and, not in terms of trust. I, I don't I don't mean you know holding data because obviously the NHS, National Health Service, it's governmental fund, so on. But this is coming from an organisation which persisted to use Windows XP past its expiry date and begged and paid Microsoft for long term support on an out of date platform. And I believe that their systems in some areas are still out of date. Not necessarily all over, but that is a that that's a problem. That's been a known problem. And yep. I trust them with my medical records and I trust them. I mean, they, they do what they do. Great. That like, You cannot fault the NHS in any way. Not not even because of COVID, but just in general. But they are not a technology company. They, they don't have this in the bag. They don't have the, the access to the devices that Apple and Google would. So I, I don't think it's a necessity for them to worry about at this point if Apple and Google are willing to take that for them. And I think that this was just uh, the two companies or the NHS, Apple and Google, you know, and a couple of other countries all basically came up with the same idea at the same time. Um, yeah, true. You know, it says the NHS were just completely unaware. And I assume if they were aware, then in this, you know, wouldn't be a problem. I assume the NHS will just work with Apple and Google. It makes the most sense. It's the most cost-effective solution. It's the best solution, etc., etc. Not going to be working with Huawei. <laughs> Everything seems to be blending into each other here. So BT are delaying the removal of the Huawei systems from EE's core network. And it's the most sensitive parts of the mobile network. 2018, that would take two years to remove it. Now they're saying that 100% of the core mobile traffic will be on the Ericsson built equipment by 2023. And yet the UK government are still talking about using it within 5G. Hmm. BT, delay something. Well, I never. <laughs> 
Um, it's it's probably a big enough task, and yeah, but they they overpromised and they underdelivered. What is it with companies that do that? Like it happens everywhere. It's you know when was the last time a construction project took the estimated amount of time? When was the last time anything took the estimated amount of time? It's just like human beings are just apparently really bad at estimating. I include myself in that as well. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and then Ticketmaster. This this is this seems to be a company just company general in terms of for, for companies that are struggling, and that would be a lot of companies at the moment especially if their industry is not basically not in existence at the moment. So Ticketmaster have essentially changed their policy. They're saying, well, if, if your concert is postponed, you're not getting your money back. I it's honestly anyway. don't think Ticketmaster needed an excuse to be a slime ball of a company. It's mm. just the image they've portrayed forever now. Take a great idea, you know, tickets on the web that they, I wouldn't say pioneered, but they captured that market very early. And they've done what every other big company that has kind of a big lead does, and they've made themselves into like public enemy number one. You go to any Ticketmaster or, or um, you, you search for like Ticketmaster on Twitter, it'll never be anything positive. Um, it's just they, for such a sim- like a, such a basic operation of I want to buy a ticket, I need to make a transaction. I've bought the ticket. They make it such a convoluted process. They make it such an upsell process. They're one of the worst at doing it. Like it's 2020 but often their service seems to still think it's 2003. Um, Like, they are... I mean, Ticketmaster also own a whole bunch of the other ticketing companies as well. So just because whatever service isn't using Ticketmaster, the service it is using is probably owned by Ticketmaster. Um, I just wish someone would come along and just do a better job. Um, There is, you know, as demonstrated again here, they're they're a slime ball of a company. It's difficult because they, they, as you said, not only do they own Ticketmaster, they own multiple subsidiaries besides that and they do have a monopoly on that market on the market of event tickets which i think is why most companies are almost skeptical and don't don't attempt to try and take over that or at least grasp a good hold of the market because whilst not necessarily the best in terms of 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 moral structure they still get sales they still sell 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 well it's like you know uh, with that same analogy it's the same reason people still use facebook like it's the biggest it's the most useful you know you can have all the 56 million reasons why you shouldn't use it and why it's a slime you know a terrible service but in reality what it offers is still beneficial to 99% of people same story with Ticketmaster it may be the worst but it's almost the only like if you you know if you want a big name handling your tickets and Ticketmaster is the one you go with or any of its subsidiaries is it the one you go with? I don't can't say I buy that many tickets to be fair is it the one you've went with in the past? I've used Ticketmaster yeah so you were trying to get that answer weren't you? Well, no, I mean, I have no choice. <laughs> exactly. Point proven. There we go. Got it. <laughs> Unless, exactly. This, you're forced. Unless no you option. book motorsports tickets, and apparently the motorsport industry is more intelligent. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, so there we are. Apple, um, this week, or last week, unfortunately, I have to say now, uh, the iPhone SE, it's not being called the two, but it's essentially this, the second generation, starts at $399. This is Apple continuing that trend of having a low-cost option. And I think it's, it's more or less an admission from Apple that there are now two price point markets for smartphones, for cell phones, or mobile phones. Google recognised that as well, um, and I think Apple have no choice but to acknowledge that because they, uh, I don't know, they don't offer their sales figures anymore for their iPhone, but I would take a guess that certain regions have over time declined because of the price point and they've went to other options. And again, it, it was actually quite a, when, when we went to Prague five years ago, 
I have never seen so many Huawei adverts in my life. And it kind of admires that every sort of region has its own leader. It's not just a case of, yes, there is a, a, a worldwide and a national sort of contenders here, but there are sort of micro regions on top of that or underneath it that, that, that exist too. And and the reason for that is, is price point. And I'm, that's because different regions don't have different, you know, so you could, certain areas you don't have Apple stores as easily, you don't have access to the products as easily. Um, so, so other contenders have an easier point of entry. And I think Apple and Google are both trying to get into that area as well alongside what they currently have. It's a good offering for $399. It's a, for 64 gigabyte, you get basically the same shape and look as the iPhone 8. Uh, it has the same 4.7 inch screen, large bezels at the top and bottom, and a home button with Touch ID. This design basically has stayed consistent since the iPhone 6 makes the SE essentially the fifth generation of that same look. Underneath, though, it's, it still has decent equipment. It's essentially the iPhone 8 with a better camera, better processor, has a lower price tag. Although it was a relatively old design, it has the A13 Bionic chip, which is the same as in the iPhone 11 and 11 Pro models. That should ensure that it has a much longer lifespan than the iPhone 8 model that it's replacing in Apple's lineup, which had an A11 chip from 2017. There won't be a plus-sized version of it, but the 8 Plus will continue to be sold in certain markets. It comes in black, white, or product red. Kind of really does look like an iPhone 8, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it is essentially... A- you know the eight with the body of it, or the eight with the internals of the eleven, which has sort of been the uh, you know the storied past for the iPhone SE, isn't it? Um, they've always put like the the really high end phone in the uh, lower end or older body. I think for four hundred dollars, this thing is going to sell by the millions. Um, obviously, it came out what last week, I think, with delivery started happening last week. People have already started Geekbench testing it, you know, testing against other phones of a similar price point, and it is absolutely wiping the floor. Of even some of the high-end Android phones, like Apple really do know what they're doing when it comes to the chip design. It's insane. Um, Apple's chips have always been far ahead of the likes of Snapdragon and whatnot, even for their higher-end stuff. Um, we have heard rumors that in the Pixel 5, I think, um, that Google wants to use their own chips as well, which is pretty telling of the likes of Snapdragon. Um, it's got pretty much the same camera as the iPhone 11 and 11 Pro. Um, I do believe it's like missing things like a night mode and I assume deep fusion and whatnot. Relatively minor trade-offs probably for the everyday user. The everyday user is going to look at the two phones in the store and unless you really want face ID or, or a bigger screen, then, you know, the differences are are going to be fairly minimal for them. Um, but before, I, st- I just, the entire time I have not been able, not, ha- yeah, words, have not been able to get over that $400 price tag. Um, but what you get in that phone, it is absolutely crazy. Um, you know, is the better than some flagship phone spec. Um, especially when it comes to things like the camera and the connectivity. It doesn't have Face ID. Um, it does have the latest generation of Touch ID, which, you know, I think some people are going to probably prefer. I know there are some people that still prefer um, Touch ID over Face ID, and especially in this world where more and more people are having to wear face masks at the moment, it might uh, might be deemed the better option. <laughs> 
But um, mm. it was odd to see Apple come in so low, I think. I think you're right. I think they've realized that not everyone wants to pay, was it like £1,500 for the uh, the iPhone 11 Pro Max or whatever it's called? Um, you know, that's just absolutely crazy for, for, for a phone. Most people just want to spend a few hundred pounds or, you know, maybe, maybe stretch it to four or five hundred pounds, which, you know, the SE is going to do more than well enough at. Um, I remember when the iPhone 11 came out, there were a lot of people, I think, disappointed at the time that the SE didn't get any kind of upgrade um, because they just don't want to spend, you know, the iPhone 11 is the cheaper end of Apple's phones, especially in recent years, but it's still like 700 pounds plus. So this coming in at 400 is just absolutely bananas considering it's only lacking things like a wide angle lens. It doesn't have like night mode, um, face ID and like a few tiny things like that, which just, you know, for some people will make all the difference in the world, but for for 99% of consumers, you know, $400 is the, the sweet spot. Very true. But I, th- I think what Apple have done is very smart. They have just differentiated it enough so that if someone is eyeing up the more expensive option, i.e. the 11 or 11 Pro Max, they'll go for it because there are those subtle differences. Underneath in the hood, yes, there are a lot of processing components and a lot of hardware items that are pretty much identical, if not near near enough. But then there are some UX elements which aren't the same. And that's that's where Apple just have you, right? And they know that. And But then it makes sense. They have to do that because in order to offer a lower price, they have to differentiate in some way. But really what you're doing is you're paying double, if not double and a half the price for the likes of Face ID and, you know, extra camera features and so on. Maybe a better battery life. From what I hear, the battery life in this is pretty good. Again, another big thing Apple have always had the advantage with designing their own chips is they can eat that battery life out. And I believe this phone is no different. Um, it's, I am, I, um, just because this is the type of person I am, when, uh, when the SE was announced and the specs and price were all announced, I hopped over to the uh, Android subreddit just to see what the <laughs> general consensus was. Because, you know, Android has obviously benefited for a number of years from they're able to cater to that market better. It, it's something we've always said. It's not that Android is, you know, a, a cheaper OS than iOS, let's say, but they've just always had better offerings in the lower end, um, especially in recent years. If you wanted to not spend flagship prices, then you got an Android phone. Um, but a lot of the opinion was that the likes of Google would, I assume, I don't think the 4A has been announced yet, has it? Um, or has nope. it? Um, nope. Which is, I believe, Google's cheaper phone, or whatever you want to call it. That has some serious competition now. I assume Google are going to come out guns blazing with that. Um, it's going to be, I assume it will be very similar to the SE specs-wise, probably. But um, I love the fact that like the high-end market is kind of off doing what it what it's doing, but then like all the competition has turned up in that you know great for us price range. Not only that, but what's coming in both from from both quote sides is that the SE, the brand new SE, is outperforming the OnePlus 8 Pro and the Samsung Galaxy S20, which are the most expensive Android phones and probably the higher end options. Now that shows, yeah, that shows them up, regardless of who you prefer or what company you want or whether you prefer iOS or Android, it doesn't really matter. In terms of functionality and performance, that's, I mean, if you're going to do something, you need to do it right. It's weird to hear um, or like how OnePlus have kind of gone from being like flagship killer to a flagship like they just sort of ended up they they put the price up each year you know the one plus eight starts at 600 pounds now well the one plus was always considered to be the it's not a flagship phone it was like the specs of a flagship phone let's say but at like you know the three four hundred pound price mark you know the one plus eight six hundred the one plus eight pro eight hundred like they're expensive phones now and they've come out and they've got issues there are quite a lot of people having uh quality 
quality, uh, screen quality issues. Um, so yeah, coming in at 400 is, I assume Google are going to price theirs the same, if not less. I don't believe they can get away with pricing any higher than that. Um, it's going to be like a race to the bottom again, which I am all ears for. I love that. It outperforms Qualcomm's Snapdragon 865, which is essentially the a chip which is, is in use. Um, in I'm nearly sure it's the Huawei, yeah? Or sorry, the, the OnePlus, not the Huawei. The OnePlus. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Aaron. You took into the wrong person. Yeah. No idea. Either way, sort of two side-by-side chips in the same times. Apple have said, right, you know, I, I guess what they could have done, they could have moved it down, they, you know, and put a, a lesser chip in it, but they didn't. Quite an interesting move. And I think what they're doing is that that's them trying to capture the market, putting the, the high-spec chip in the lower-spec phone, but removing some of the more integrated options and features on the phone so that there is still the differentiation between the high-end and the low-end on Apple's side. Very smart. They <laughs> thought about that, haven't they? Yeah. Um, obviously, there's 5G as well, I think, with the, the SE. Oh, no, Apple don't have any no, 5G phones. Sorry. No, never mind. Take that back. Jamie's making up specs. Causes, causes coronavirus, right? Yes. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Can, we, can we just go on a tangent for a minute, actually? Can, is, is that allowed? I was just about to say the OnePlus. I'm just looking at the specs. One, you are correct on the 865. And two, it has a 5G chipset. So coronavirus. Yeah. Can, can we just take a second? I think you know what's coming next. Yesterday or the day before, read a story which, I, and it's one thing to, to cause criminal damage to any property, I guess. Because some idiots decided that these moronic conspiracy theories that 5G can cause coronavirus meant that they should go and burn tels, or telsars, <laughs> cell towers down. Um, it's another thing to threaten and harass engineers who are working on the technology. Catch a grip. Who who does that? Who who's not only are you stupid for many reasons, but you're just downright bloody idiot. Just, I, what? I don't get it. So some idiot first off thinks, right? Well, I'll spread a yeah, five G must spread coronavirus. That's fine. It must be that. It must be that. Then some moron comes along and thinks, right, well, well, burn a cell tower down. That'll fix the problem. And then someone takes it upon themselves to personally threaten engineers. Engineers have come out and said that they have been harassed. They've been threatened by people who believe they're working on 5G, which, of course, has been wrongly linked to coronavirus. 120 cases of abuse reported to the union and trade body representing thousands of workers across the UK. Reports have included threats of extreme violence. Quote, we've actually had cases where people have been threatened with being stabbed, threatened with physical violence, and in some cases, actually threatened with murder. I, how, how do some people get on day-to-day life without difficulty, without trouble? I mean, with these type of people, it's like, I know breathing is a natural reflex, but I'm actually amazed they manage to achieve it sometimes. Um, It's like, what has to go through people's heads? you know 100% agree with you what goes through people's brains to come up with these absolutely BS conclusions like it's totally falsified totally made up in every way um, and then what goes hmm I've been fed this complete BS let's go threaten someone with murder that seems like the next logical conclusion just it's never okay obviously you, for 99.99% of people and for 100% of people listening we don't need to say that no one needs to say that because you know we're all intelligent people but for some people in this country for some people in this world like clearly there's something wrong with them you know that would lead them to do such you know horrific things that you know even if you know luckily nothing gets followed through just the act of saying that or threatening it like that has huge ramifications and 
with huge consequences, you know, and a huge impact on the person that you're threatening. Like, it may not be a threat, you know, that always has to go through their mind. It's just like, you're right, damaging property is one thing, stuff can be replaced, but like to threaten people, to even, you know, bring any harm upon them mentally, physically, whatever it is, is just unacceptable. You know, it doesn't have to be said, but it is, you know, unacceptable on every level. Just, there are not words to describe, there are not words to express how thick these people are and how dense they are. But here we are in 2020 having to talk about it. It's just so disappointing that like, I don't know how this stuff started. Like, you know, it's probably someone made up something or, you know, come up with something off scaremongering, you know, and it just spreads like wildfire on social media now. Mm. Um, again, it really social takes a few ideas. Exactly. Social media is not to blame, obviously, um, because people should do their own fact checking. But remember, what you read on Facebook is always true, people. <laughs> Um, it's just, I mean, it goes to so many things, doesn't it? It's like, I, I, you know, obviously not trying to get controversial here, but there are so many topics in this world where there are two sides, you know, clearly divided two sides. And it's like one side is more often or not incorrect. You know, it's false information in many ways. Mm. Um, I'm not talking about, you know, political debates, you know, that side where there are two sides of the story. I'm talking about where it's like it's false information that's been spread. Um, and it's just like, it just seems to escalate and like, it's like a non-Newtonian liquid. You know, the harder you kind of push back, the more resistant you get, the more resistance you get out of it. It's just infuriating to read these articles. Every time I go on BBC News, it's like reading something. You're right, yesterday reading about, you know, being threatened with murder and whatnot. And it's just like, it's so disappointing to live in the same, on the same landmass as some of these people. Mm. It is. It is. And I just sorry to go off on tangent, but it's just something that read through the week and think, it's getting too far. Idiots, just complete, pure, simple idiots. Back to the iPhone. Um, the SE. So essentially, what Apple have done, they have they've, they've matched the price point of of the previous one. They've put in, put really good hardware in it. They've, they've given no reason not to buy it, and they have changed slight practical user elements just to try and differentiate between the, the higher cost options. I really see no reason why this isn't a goer. And as you say, I expect it will sell in the the, the millions. Really does match Google's Pixel 3a and 3xl in terms of who they're trying to market it to, and I, I think both. I, I'm, obviously, I haven't seen any figures from the the, the 3a 3xl, but I think they'll do very well in the market. I think they will. They'll they'll match or they'll they'll target to a, a very particular market, but but also to a growing market at the minute, which seems to be the case where other phones. I, I honestly price don't are think it's a market that ever went away. I think it's just like the manufacturers just sort of left it. Like yeah. Well, no, but, 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 but it was the market of smartphones before that. That was the, the complete market. But ever since the price points have been increasing, that sub-market has been created. I've had you said, rightfully, people who don't want to pay X amount of money for a smartphone. I mean, I, th- I think people that are, you know, are, are buying the... problem is, I can't even label it lower end because it's the same specs as the high end. People who are buying the cheaper, I guess is the right word of putting it. People who are buying the cheaper iPhone or, you know, cheaper phones are like most people. Um, I don't think people... People want to pay a thousand pounds for a phone. I think it's just because that's the only iPhone you could buy unless you wanted an old one up until now. The SE, you know, had a, had a brief kind of, you know, thing like four or five years ago and it was loved. Like I imagine it was probably one of Apple's best selling phones for a 
long time. Um, which is why I think everyone was so staggered they they never updated it and until now, obviously. But the Telltale Sign will be. I just wish Apple would get on a, a regular release schedule with this stuff. Now I know I appreciate the world is sort of turned upside down slightly at the moment. There's lots of rumors that there is actually meant to be a slightly bigger version of the SE as well. Um, but it that it's been delayed due to you know struggling to get production and kind of everything that's going on in the world at the moment um so whether we see that or not will be interesting but i just wish in october when apple tend to do the iphone event i just wish they would go here's the new se here's the new mid-range one here's the new high-end one Mm. not well here's the uh top tier and you know in three years time you may get an update to the other one like yeah yeah again i appreciate 2020 is going to be a little bit of an outlier in all of this um i think 2021 is going to be a pretty busy tech year um just because i imagine so many companies are scrapping releases for this year and just moving everything to next year um especially at this point you know we're coming up right on to kind of io like phone release and software release and you know developer conference season aren't we that kind of may june july time is is but it's just it's just not going to happen um and i imagine a few will be pushed to the end of the year and a few will just be scrapped entirely and moved to next year um which is a shame because i think 2020 was set to be a pretty bumper year in technology um but hopefully 2021 will will prove to be that it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the uh the bigger iphone now um especially obviously this is like it matches it's this weird timing so it's come out in 2020 and it matches the 2019 iphones you know so in 2020 when the new iphones in theory get updated it's, it's going to be this weird kind of stagger where it's, i assume it's always going to be a chip behind and a camera behind and you know etc but yeah i'm intrigued to see this go forward because apple they've got a bit to prove at the moment when it comes to release schedules we've spoken about it with things like the imac pro like stuff just isn't getting updated as often as it should um apple needs to get better at this across the board agreed agreed statistics coming in from from mary actually say that half of americans have decided not to use a product service because of privacy concerns this caught my eye because we talk about this all the time that people there's a trade-off for convenience versus privacy clearly that mindset could be changing but then it kind of prompted the question in my head that is it a case of business or product size equals business or product privacy ethos by that i mean are consumers looking at a product and thinking well that's small it's a startup doesn't have very many users mustn't be safe and then look at the bigger scale products facebook for example and say well it must be very secure because it has a billion two billion users why not it must be good that's the case then mm, it's not quite you know it doesn't matter how many people are privacy savvy but nonetheless it's good to see that it's a trend around half of americans decided not to use products or services due to privacy concerns varies whether they've experienced a data breach or not as well at the time when many americans are believing that the personal information is basically less secure concerned with how companies and their government use their personal data substantially sure of the public has opted out of using certain products from time to time because of a privacy concern it's coming from a pew research center did a survey conducted or conducted sorry between the 3rd and 17th of june of last year but half that's 52 percent of u.s adults said they decided recently not to use a product or service because they were worried about how much personal information it would be collecting about them and there are some distinctions among certain americans for example 
people's own experience with data breaches in the last 12 months is a factor. Those who said someone attempted to open a line of credit or apply for a loan using the name were more likely than those who did not experience this to say they decided not to use a product or service due to privacy concerns. Substantially enough, 64 versus 51%. A similar pattern exists when comparing those who said someone took over the social media or email account without their permission and those who did not experience this, that was 63 versus 51, and those who said someone put fraudulent charges in their debit card were more likely than those who did not experience this to share the concern also 56 versus 51 percent so there is a direct correlation between people who have experienced problems in the past and being more privacy savvy and those who haven't and being less privacy savvy and i guess that makes sense of course but it's sad that it takes a stated case an example to occur before someone really opens their eyes or some people anyway it shouldn't be like that it should just be commonplace it's still a problem aaron isn't it yeah i find it i just reading further down they've got some um got kind of some of the notes that came back um it says some respondents elaborated on their reasoning for instance a 64 year old man said an email arrived with links to articles when i clicked the link the site asked for demographic information about me i declined to provide the information um another explaining her concern about electronics a 29 year old woman wrote my smart tv requested permission to collect audio data and other types of data for research i am not comfortable with that so i declined um some people said they were interested in using various services but did research that changed their minds uh one 27 year old woman said i recently was interested in doing gene analysis uh, to get a better understanding of my ancestors after doing research i found that companies actually keep this information and use it in other situations. This deterred me from going further with their service. I honestly do not have a clear understanding of what happens with such services, but that is exactly what makes me wary of using such services, which is actually, you know, two fairly different age ranges there. But I think people are waking up is the wrong word. People are uh, becoming more aware of... I don't. I think there are still, you know, people, I agree with you, that um, will always associate the bigger company the better the smaller company must be less trustful which more often than not not the case in some instances probably the other way around um but i think you know reading here people are doing research people are kind of learning like i think we've we've probably had it drilled into our heads that you know when 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 people say if, if the product is free you are the product i think that is becoming like a general generally known thing and people are doing their research like what's the catch um we're becoming a very pessimistic society i think when it comes to technology and and how our data is stored we're forever now trying to work out okay in what ways is this data going to be used against me in some way um in the future or who's it going to be sold to or whatever um which is such a shame um the tech feels like this constant battle now between us and the big guys like us and the people who want to sell all our data Mm. um we've spoken about it we've spoken about privacy so much over the years and I, i don't think much has changed i think when we've always spoken about privacy though i think we've always understood that our concerns probably live in our own little bubble like the tech bubble and the tech news bubble is a very different like way of thinking to the general populace um, when we have concerns when we're worried about things when, when we see oh there must be a catch to this i think we're very much aware that actually you know joe public isn't going to think like that or so we thought um i think it's interesting to see uh, studies like this where it turns out that actually the general public may be thinking more along the same lines that we are 
in regards to being more privacy savvy. Yeah. There's still a lot of work to do here as a whole. I mean, this is America. This is one country. And scams are still very prevalent. I mean, we read 18 million coronavirus scams being sent a day. And those who, those emails that get through, I, that, that's, there, there, there must be a proportion that are successful in, in scamming. Quite unsettling, isn't it, really? Yeah, but we're not, we're not necessarily talking about scam and phishing emails. So, you know, we're talking about... Well, it, it falls under the same category. Any, any privacy scandal, any product service scam, it's all the same. Because if you're aware of it, you should be aware of every single fundamental that, that coincides under that, that, that umbrella, I think. At the end of the day, if you're putting your information into something, it doesn't matter if it's a scam or product service. It, you, you need to understand what you're putting your, your information into, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess. But what, what's your counter-argument there? Oh, no, it's just I've, I've never really thought of people worrying about their smart TVs in the same line as getting, you know, giving money to a Nigerian prince. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. Well, like yourself, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I wasn't scammed. I was... It's a successful operation. <laughs> I think. I hope. You hope. <laughs> yeah, I, I get you. I get you. Yeah, they're, they're, they they do fall under two distinct categories, but they, they fall under the same realm, I think. I think. It's really disappointing because as the technology grows, as the use of technology increases, so do the, the privacy problems in every aspect. And it's knowing who to trust, what with, what not to trust. And I think it's more a case of using... A, a, because you, you shouldn't be sceptical about everything, but I think you, you do have to have a bit of scepticism in it when, when you apply for a service and, and really sort of try to understand what, what do they need this data for? Is it necessary that they know my date of birth? Is it necessary that they know my mobile phone number? Do they need the, 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 these details or are they just supplementary? Are they just asking them because they help aid them in marketing to me? Are they going to keep these details secure? The Data Protection Act in the UK says that you can only ask for the information that is necessary and you can only keep it for the time necessary to keep it to provide for the function that the person applied for but not every business or company does that they want more and more and more and they justify it because they they say well we need it for this we need it for that xyz abc it makes your experience better and so on and so forth really they just want to have it because it's valuable to them your data is valuable very valuable which leads nicely into our final story for today and that google will require proof of identity from all advertisers i think this is a, a, a very big breath of fresh air in that google who if you think are a search company you live in 1999 because at google are an advertising company and that is their thing google know a lot about a lot of people and so they can get to a lot of those people very quickly through advertisements what they're saying now is slew of scams and misleading ads published and pushed to the search giant uh, will it will mean that they're expanding their verification policy that's an effort to fight off fraudulent or misleading online ads they will require all advertisers across the sprawling network prove who they are and where they operate the names of the companies or behind the ads as well as their countries of origin will begin appearing on google ads this summer starting with several thousand advertisers in a month in the united states before expanding worldwide the measure which could take years to implement is designed as a defense against businesses and individuals who misrepresent themselves in paid online promotions. This is becoming a bigger problem, a much bigger problem. I think it's growing exponentially, actually, because there's so many scams. Have you even, you know, even on a YouTube advertisement, how, how many times have you watched someone who's talking, and I'm not saying it's a scam, but there are misleading aspects. They're talking about coronavirus and how you need to now prepare and financially you need to do XYZ and you need to take their investment class because there's XYZ or ABC. And it, there are misleading aspects to that. And I think people need to be held more accountable for what they say in those respects because if you're paying for advertisement to get to people you need to be talking you need to be telling the truth they're, they're, you know the advertisements on tv are are heavily regulated by industry watchdogs not so much online at the minute and i'm not saying online needs to be censored Aaron. i think maybe there's a, a, a very fine line but there does need to be more accountability and more traceability 
for those who are posting advertisements online, right? I just don't understand why this is still not a thing. Like, I genuinely, in my completely naive mind, thought that Google were already verifying or doing at least some kind of verification on on ads and and companies that posted on their platform. It seems nuts that they're, you know, this is like some new, you know, revelation they've just had um, that's going to take years to implement because obviously um, it just seems crazy to me that it's not a, you know, in, in the wake of political events that have happened over the past couple of years or past few years, you know, um, again, the amount of deception that happens online, you're 100% right. And I don't, you know, add blockers for the win. Um, don't see YouTube pre-roll ads and whatnot. But when you scroll through on your phone, and you, you know, you scroll through the homepage, I think, and you get those like picture ads or banner ads or whatever you want to call it. It's just like, it just seems like it is scam after scam after scam after scam. It's like, how is this stuff ending up in the YouTube app is just crazy to me. Um, you know, Google employ enough people, do a bit of manual verification on them. You know, this is your money making bread and butter. Um, you should be doing a better job at this. I don't care how many adverts are, are posted a day or how difficult this may be or whatever. It's like, just do a better job, verify it. Um, you know, make sure the company is who they say they are. You know, make sure, make sure I'm sick of with Google. One of the big things with ads and whatnot is, is like something seems to be able to be posted and then like it has to be reported for it to be taken down. Like Google will only seem to review it. I don't know if this is the case, but it just looks to be the case. They only seem to review it once someone's unhappy with it instead of before it ever gets there, which just seems like a completely nutty way of doing stuff. Mm. Yeah. Firefighting essentially the problem as opposed to, to preempting it. It's just, you know, so many companies, to be fair, are guilty of that. I, I see Twitter ads, Facebook ads, they're all just as bad as each other. They all mm. don't seem to have that much vetting or, or verification. Um, I appreciate vetting and verification. You do have human error in there. What one human may think is a good thing, another may think is a bad thing. Um, but just, it seems that you could weed out 95% of this stuff. There's just a little bit of basic intervention in between. Um, like I say, when I scroll through, through my YouTube feed and every ad seems to be some kind of, you know, deceptive money-making pyramid scheme. It's like, doesn't take a rocket scientist. I think... The, Obviously, the, the, I've the signed fact... up for all of them. <laughs> yeah. but, but because your money you're getting from the, the Nigerian... Exactly. I've got to put it somewhere. I think the problem is... When you're saying about the time period it's going to take, the problem is, or not the problem, but advertising is such, you know, think how many advertisers Google have in their books, from from sole traders to, to PLCs, and to do it right, yeah, it will take time, but starting now is better than waiting another year and starting then, because it's only going to get worse, and I said at the start, it's probably an exponential problem, I think it is, it must be, because it, at least from my perspective, and who am I to say, but the, the number of potential, not necessarily scams, but tantamount to scams and f- sort of misleading information has to be has to be an exponential problem it's growing tenfold as the use of technology does and catching up with it it will be difficult so what what they're doing now will yes take time but it will lead the way for the next not generation but the next wave of advertisement sort of activity to to be a bit more regulated is the wrong word but at least authentic maybe not even authentic accountable <laughs> You can still talk rubbish. You just need to tell us who you are before you do so. Yeah. And I think that's that's what it falls down to. In the past, Google has cited predatory behavior by companies that trumpet payday loans, bail bond services, and third-party tech support, often banning ads outright. In September, Google said that it taken down more than 3.2 billion ads that violated its advertising policies within a year, or more than 100 bad ads per second. <laughs> per second, 100 ads per second. Under the new policy, Google will suspend the accounts of advertisers that do not provide proof of identity, 
including W9 forms, passports, and other personal identification and business incorporation files. Previously, Google had requested basic information, like names, but did not require the documentation. So basically, you could have made it up. Yeah, this this is, I, I agree. I think it's, it's a move by Google, but I think it should be an industry move by all of the mainstream advertising companies and all the mainstream sort of big, big tech giants who are in this realm. It has to be, because going forward, this is the only way that you don't turn what is almost going that way into um, basically a, a never-ending realm of fraud and scam, which is a shame, but it does put a, a bigger emphasis for the need or for the use of ad blockers as well i hate to say it people have to make money online but at the end of the day if, if if it's a case of me helping someone make money online or me saving myself from stupid fraudulent advertisements i'm choosing an ad blocker every time what about you Aaron? that's just it isn't it it's like i mean an easy fix here i mean not seeing ads is you know it is quite nice to not have to sit through five minute pre-roll sometimes yeah um and any content creator that i genuinely enjoy and watch i'm more than happy to support i'll buy their merch i will support them on patreon you know whatever it is Aaron will even buy their vinyls and CDs. Ask me how I know. Oh, it, yeah, he's not wrong. Um, <laughs> but for the majority of stuff, it's like we've just got to a point where an ad blocker has kind of become less of a, I don't know, uh, oh, you just don't want to see ads to. I just don't want to be, you know, phishing attacked and scammed and got lots of viruses and, you know, all things like that. Like it just so much malware and, you know, whatnot comes through advertising now, adware, that it just, it's become a necessity almost the run one you know even the iphone supports built-in ad blockers now that's how bad it has got guessing android doesn't by I default s- uh probably not but I-, I assume you've been able to install an ad blocker on android oh, yeah. forever yeah. whereas ios obviously doesn't have them by default either but you can uh you can install them i think it's a sign of, sign of the times i think this whole episode has shown a sign of the times we've talked about you know technology that is creating a subdivision because of the advancement of the technology and the price of it and then being more wary of privacy and being more wary of scams and, and making sure that your your information is secure it's not being sold it's not being misused it's not not at risk for any reason and now we see tech giants especially google for for for, for one doing the right thing it's a slow thing it will take a while but at least it's a step in the right direction and that's better than nothing 100 and if they do it right it could have a substantial impact it makes it easier to to penalize those who don't abide by the rules that brings us to the end of 504 thank you so much for taking the time to join us more episodes on over at munchtech.tv you can uh, subscribe to our newsletter munchtech.tv forward slash newsletter for the ultimate guide to podcasting munchtech.tv forward slash ultimate podcast guide and podcastassist.com if you're on a mobile device munchtech.tv forward slash mobile and of course our interview with steve wozniak co-founder of apple computing pioneer and engineering genius munchtech.tv forward slash was Thank you so much once again for joining us. See you next week, 505, same time, same place. Until then, stay safe, stay sensible. See you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.